Hello and welcome to episode two, series two of the Making Things Word podcast, where we discuss topics around digital transformation and leadership in the workplace. My name is Duncan Pryor, and I'm the host of the podcast, and I help organizations make use of technology to simplify and transform their organizations and make work better. We're starting this series talking about sustainability. And in the previous episode, we met with BML C- Digital CTO, Jack Overmolen, and talked about how demystifying technology is a factor in building sustainable organizations. And that's because the subject of sustainability is moving beyond what was traditionally being grouped together under environmental, social, and governance, an ESG umbrella, to something more fundamental than that. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with Scott Stonham, the founder of Well That's Interesting Tech. Scott, so welcome. And um, but by way of introduction, I thought it would also be good to start talking about your own journey to this point, because it forms such an interesting sort of discussion point in itself around the world of work. Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much, Duncan, for for the nice intro. Thank you for having me on. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. So yeah, my, my journey to this point has really been, I say it's like an eight-year eureka moment, <laughs> a very slow, aha. I, I've spent the last 25 years or so doing, um, being at the forefront of technology innovation, one way or another. In my early career, I was really lucky to be involved in some really transformative things like uh, the development of mobile internet with Vodafone and the uh, the creation of what's now the smartphone sat nav market with Qualcomm, and then yeah, I was I was young, successful, got carried away with kind of job titles and kind of good pay and stuff like that, and it was great for a while. And then there was this kind of nagging feeling that was, yeah, something's not quite right. And yeah, it took it took about eight years for me to find that opportunity to to really dig into what that nagging feeling was, and then do something about it. So roll forward plenty of years in 2019, I had that opportunity and I, I launched Well That's Interesting dot tech. And it was it was it was really the total the long term vision of it wasn't really concrete. It was something I knew I had to go in a direction and I knew I had to start. And I think actually as we go through today's conversation, that'll be a bit of a theme. You know, you know you have to do something to just get doing something which feels right. So yeah, I started uh, Well That's Interesting Tech with the idea of finding those technologies that were doing good in the world. So that's kind of how it all started. And it's it's morphed now to be much more focused um, and aligned with still technologies that are do, doing good, but aligned to the UN SDGs in one way or another. Yes, and it's interesting looking at your sort of bio is, you know, in, in a different world in, in the past, you might have gone from... Um, the, the career you've described into being, say, a, a technology writer, an analyst, and you you sort of pigeonhole yourself into the next thing. But what you're actually what you've done is sort of find your own voice, which is which is so powerful. Yeah, um, and actually, it's funny as uh, when I was a child and um, going through my GCSEs and my A levels and stuff like that, writing was never anything I wanted to do. And so it's kind of funny looking back now and thinking, okay, well, I I effectively write for a living. It's a bit more than that, of course, but yes. it was a it was a bit of a surprise to me to realize, oh, I'm a writer, and somebody described me as a journalist. I'm like, <laughs> again, surprise. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we might come back to some of those, those sorts of thoughts about just the, 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 about work because there's some other in, interesting sort of topics just around that. But let's, let's just jump in with the first question then, and 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 ask, well, so what does sustainability mean to you? Because it's just fascinating to me how. We've gone from, like I said, to this sort of ESG sort of idea to something that's completely fundamental to living and working. 
Uh, that's a that's a huge question. So let's see how long do we have. Sustainability is is uh, is a very powerful word, but it's also as, as you know, it's uh, being used for in so many good ways and so many kind of nefarious ways as well at the moment. So what does it mean to me? Is maybe it may be different what it means to you and to many others. Uh, for me, it's about making decisions and doing doing things that are going to make our lives and our world better in the long term with a more near-term view of if I don't do these things now, then the things I'm trying to do will become harder and harder and maybe even impossible. So it's kind of a near-term view for me. You know, so for one example, I now run um, my, my, my whole office set up for a battery power pack behind me run by a single solar panel and for me that kind of gives me a power budget i'm working in my office i can see how much power i've got left in the in the battery and if that means i need to maybe switch from my big screen to my small screen to make it through the day in that power budget you know that's me thinking i'm not putting any more demand on on the household energy supply or anything like that but in the near term i'm thinking as i said before having moved back to the uk recently there's an energy bill coming up at some point <laughs> and if i yes. can use as much as i can from the sun then i'm going to do that so it's kind of that long term but also near term thinking for me to make things better and more sustainable and kind of ongoing yeah that's that's really fascinating and um why do you think it is then that the the awareness of uh, sustainability has just gone up so much uh, recently, we seem to, we seem to have just gone on on this journey, and there's, and now it's it's becoming a complete sort of industry, if you like. There's people who do the the finance, the the analysis, and the technology all around it, all, all around sustainability, rather than it just being. Yeah, even quite recently, it was something that was maybe for for companies and the whole world really something a little bit off to the side where we try to do recycling and what have you. Mm. Mm. It's a really good point, really interesting observation and one that I've mulled um, over the last year or so. Uh, I definitely have seen a, let's call it a rapid uptake and in awareness on the sustainability topics and on the awareness of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. It's interesting, you know, ESG and ESG has been around, I think, for 25 years. So many of these things are not new it's just been yeah. taking a while to come forward i've known some of my colleagues in this space they've been working in sustainability for 25 years and it's kind of interesting to see that yeah it's been around a long time but why now my my personal kind of take on this um and it it evolves around raised awareness of the un sdgs you know when when i first started this around 2019 early 2020 with the sdgs i had to explain what they were to every conversation to everybody in every conversation i had and you could argue that you know now the reason that i don't have to do that is because i'm now in my own filter bubble with people who know what they are so it makes more sense but it's not just that going outside my filter bubble i see people are more aware of it so i started to question why and i think in 2020, we had the kind of confluence of two major global events. We had the pandemic and we had COP26. And here in, in the UK, as we, we had everything that went around that as well. And these two things for me made, made it kind of stand, two areas of the SDGs stand out very clearly for everybody kind of around here. So you've got SDG3, which is focused on good health and well-being. Well, hello, that's COVID and the pandemic. So suddenly that became really personal but at the same time, a global thing. So, okay, this is a global issue. 
Um, and then we've got COP26, which clearly fits within number 13, climate change. So I kind of think these two things pulled, thing, pulled awareness together in a batch of two. And then again, as I start speaking to people about this, you go, well, actually, you know, number one, poverty. Number two, hunger. Well, you don't really have too much poverty or hunger in, in, in the UK, do we? And it's, actually, we do. We do. And when you start looking for it, you realize that Jack down the street is really struggling. Um, you realize that you know so many more people are turning to food banks now with the energy crisis as well. So many more people are going to energy poverty and actual poverty poverty. So I think there's been these global events which have really kind of drawn people towards this. And you know, if I may, I've got one other anecdote to do with my mum actually. <laughs> so for years I've been talking to her about sustainability and these things, and she kind of listens to me but doesn't really acknowledge it. You know, that kind of uh huh, yeah, got it, okay. And I was telling her about water scarcity in the UK, uh, that 46% in 2020, 46% of the UK's population live in areas designated as water scarce. So not enough water to do the things you need. And she kind of, yeah, 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 and carried on watering her garden. And then this year, she was telling me how she hasn't had rain and how the garden is brown and dry. And she goes, this is what you were talking about. I'm like, yeah. This is what I was talking about. So I think there's also this now first-hand realisation, which makes it so much more personal and relatable for people. So in a nutshell, how is my ramble as to why I think it's kind of grown in awareness? Yes, when you look at those goals, you, 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 the, uh, when, I, when I take a look at them, I, I think, well, that's, that's, uh, that's how you could describe uh, this country or, or, in fact, any country. So you, you, you move away from this idea of, I guess, how having sort of wealthier countries and less well-off countries and, and helping less well-off countries to just thinking a bit beyond that to the, to the whole, to whole world. And like you say, possibly the people around you who you can probably help the most. And it's, and it's great to see those sort of shifts in thinking to a much sort of broader mindset. Yeah, and I think, you know, so we talked about the, the personal kind of personal realization, but at the same time, you had Larry Fink from BlackRock put out his $130 trillion megatrend statement. And I think that made businesses and financial institutions pay attention a lot more than they had done before. So there's definitely these macro drivers like that. And I, I think I wrote yeah. about that in 2019 as well. You know, for the system to change, the system has to change and the system will change through financial incentive. And then Larry Fink on, <laughs> on prompt came out and did that. So that was coincidental. Yeah, 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 and then and also related to that, an article you wrote recently about this term, the Great Resignation, which you kind of you can end up sort of look, getting stuck on some of the terms. But it was it's very what I really enjoyed about reading it, and and with sustainability as well, it's not we're moving away from there being kind of right and wrong answers to to, to everything, and and it being a bit sort of black and white. We can do something that's much more nuanced than that, and requires much more subtle approaches to, uh, to to building solutions rather than in the past we're probably a bit more looking for kind of the right answer and then moving forward on that basis yeah that's interesting um and i think i think that tallies with one of my observations in interviewing lots of these um lots of these technology leaders or leaders using technology that's probably the best way of doing it yeah leaders using technology to do good what i've discovered is you know these highly driven individuals have normally had some kind of personal moment or um, tragedy or some kind of event that's made them decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just focus on this one issue, this one cause, like the guy who decided to really focus all of his time, money and effort on preventing wildfires was because he experienced one firsthand. 
um, another chap was building a new way of funding um, clinical research into underrepresented um, areas because you know, his child was suffering badly and Big Pharma was doing nothing. So it's these personal moments that drive that kind of purposefulness within an organization. And then when he finds that, that, that purpose, that becomes kind of passion. And when you get that passion, that becomes contagious and the whole kind of organization kind of gets along and gets on board. And that kind of fits within the great resignation piece because people are, people are saying, you know, I, I need something more. I need something more to um, attach myself to. You know, I'm giving away half my life to work, so it needs to be something something more. And yeah, in that article, we were talking about this moment of leverage, collective human leverage. And it's not just one employee, but it's all of them saying, hey, you know, I, I want more. So employers have to listen to that. But because it comes from this kind of point of a personal event or a personal feeling, it's no longer, like you said, it's no longer just a yes or a no or a black or a white or whatever. It's maybe thousands of employees who all have their own personal reasons for demanding more or something different. So it is a lot, by nature, it's a blended, um, it's a blended kind of view on what's right and what's wrong. And that gives employers huge challenges, but huge opportunities as well. And that's something that I've been exploring with a few companies recently too. Just to sort of go into that a little, little bit more detail, it was really interesting when you were talking about these, the, just the notion that there's there's people out there, and it's not not necessarily for um, maybe any one specific reason, but for example, they're not able to produce a CV, and actually, uh, as you were saying before, but not being a writer, no, a writer when you're younger, maybe having a CV in the past that was a sort of proof that you're a sort of fine, upstanding citizen or what have you. And now, but if you if you're not in a position to be able to put together a CV, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not valuable in the workplace. And I was also um, have a conversation with another friend of mine, and he he was talking as well um, at that sort of executive side of things that actually lots of people don't don't use LinkedIn. So there's not there's no reason why the only way to sort of find work is 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 necessarily by having a fantastic LinkedIn profile. You know, it can be can be good, but it's not necessarily uh, exclusive, and and it means there's there's many many opportunities out there that you can discover w without using LinkedIn, without having a CV. And the idea that there's companies out there looking for solutions to those sorts of problems, technology solutions, I think is is really interesting. And it's also interesting how how can a company shift its mindset from just that traditional way of reaching out to, to recruiters and finding CVs and what have you? How can you think differently about finding people out there? Yeah. And I agree. This is on one hand, COVID presented a very significant opportunity to change that. I was one of the, you know, one of the first people in in the Vodafone office that I was in to work remotely, um, and that was back in '99, I think. So I've been working remotely for quite a while, but suddenly, suddenly, so many more people found themselves having to try and work remotely, um, and that changed how companies thought about their their teams, their policies, their hiring practices, and stuff. And at that time, um, I was engaged in a project to do with decentralized workforces and distributed organizations, not in the sense of crypto, like DAOs or yeah. anything like that, but distributed organizations. And we really saw it as an opportunity to how do you how do you reach those people who would not have even bothered to submit a an application because, you know, they live 3000 miles away um, yeah. or they only live two miles away, but they, they have. Uh, a physical restriction, which means that they can't get in there or some kind of other commitment that they can't. So there was this great opportunity 
to diversify the workforce in every possible direction if you don't have to think that that person has to get into the office. Um, and some organizations are embracing, still embracing that, but there's now this kind of rush to get people back to offices, I think, um, as we see with uh, Apple right now yeah, and the yeah. pressure they're, they're under there. Um, so, so there's that. So I think that's, that's really interesting. But then the other thing is, how do you, how do you engage with what's called the, the hidden workforce? So those people that, you know, could do the job, but don't even want to know about it, don't have the confidence to go through the application process, don't have the skills to do the application, all of those things that you mentioned. And there are, you know, I wrote about one, as you mentioned, but there's others out there as well who are trying to turn that on its head to say, look, I want to know whether you can actually do the job, not tell me that you can do the job. So here, give it a go, try it out, see if you can do it, which is good for me, the employer, but also for you, try it out because I don't want you to join join us and ask to hire you go through that rigmarole onboarding you and two weeks later you leave because actually it's not what you thought it was so i think there's benefits yeah. in in both sides of, of trying to close that gap and do things differently yes at the moment um i'm working on on some projects one of which is is to is to buy uh an, an hr system there's there's the because of the circumstances of the company it needs a new hr system and then there's also challenges in other departments that are a little bit uh, paper oriented where they're struggling to recruit because the recruitment uh, it re you really have to go into the office because that's where the paper is and mm -hmm. uh, so so we're looking at joining those things up if you like so if we can if we can um, reduce the amount of paper involved in certain processes and do those things electronically it'll then, it'll then actually mean mean it's not just for the again in the past you'd probably be wanting to do that for just the technology reason almost uh, now it's the, the the reason is so you can actually hire people in that department who, who as you say live uh, thousands of miles away at the moment that that's uh, uh, they actually have to go to the office because otherwise you wouldn't you literally wouldn't be able to do the job because of the way the the department works so it's sort of connecting those two things but mm -hmm. um, and it, as you've mentioned before though these things it's very very difficult to move these things forward because on the one hand you you need to just implement an hr system but when you look at this the the, the really fundamental uh, issues to do with the sustainability of an organization suddenly you're kind of blowing it wide open a little bit and and then you can end up not not achieving uh not being successful and delivering the, any kind of outcome at all because you've the, the thing suddenly is is too big i mean so what are your thoughts about that how do you can kind of keep the, the topic of sustainability the grounded in something that is achievable <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and how do you how do you get everybody everybody to be involved and all of these questions as well so yeah sustainability needs to be for for it to for it to succeed anyway it, it needs to be sustainable itself so it needs to have its own business case if you like um yeah and that that can sometimes get a little bit controversial because we're basically most of the time talking about adding a <laughs> a, a ROI onto your sustainability yeah. plan. Um, but I think at a higher level, I'll come back to your question in a minute. Just to set the scene. I think at the high at a higher level, on one hand, I see technology as one of the prime reasons that we're in this mess today. So whether you go back from how hum humans tamed fire all the way through to the agricultural revolution, industrial revolution, the information age, 
the, our um, incessant, relentless obsession with technology has led us to the situation we are today. And I think on one hand, yeah, that's got us there. But I am a firm believer that technology used with constraint and wisdom can actually do be a huge power of good in, in, in this world. The same thing can be said with um, capitalism um, and the way our businesses and our societies work around money. It's created so many problems. But I think, again, to kind of throw the controversy flag out there, I think that it has to be used and engaged. That, that engine has to be engaged in the same way to make the change that we need. So we have to kind of create the business model around sustainability so that the system that we live in can make it prosper and survive. So kind of that that's what we need to think about when we're doing sustainability work is how do we make sure that it can it it isn't just a sink of cash and energy it actually has some positive yeah. return and i was listening to a uh, an investor yesterday who was saying basically you know all in, all all investment now is impact investing because right if you're not thinking about the impact then your investment is going to decline anyway so everything is impact investing. So everything we do has to be looked at with, through a sustainability lens today anyway, because otherwise, you know, what's the point? It's just not going to exist. And that's either from the point of view of sustaining your business or from like an environmental sustainability and a community sustainability point of view. Either way, we need to do that. So your question is, how do you not bite off too much <laughs> that you can chew? And how do you kind of make sure that you can you know, keep doing your day job? There's some... There's some quick, simple things you can do to get things rolling. And I think as you get things rolling and people get kind of in, into that mindset and into that thinking, it grows organically. Uh, and that's another thing you need to be careful of because you need to make sure you, you're in control to some degree so it doesn't go completely tangents or worse, conflict each other. That's another thing you've got to watch out for. You can highly yeah. optimize for one thing at the cost of another. So I think I think for for organisations that are still young in this journey, there are small things you can do. And I've been working with a few to, as an example, when somebody submits uh, a website contact form, you know, getting get in touch with us type thing, you can do something small but impactful for a community or for people or for um, environmental projects somewhere in the world. Um, within my business, I've done quite a lot of that. So you sign up for a newsletter. I sponsor a tree to be grown on your behalf. Not yes. just plant a tree, sponsor a tree. And then I do other things like if you book a meeting with me on Calendly, I sponsor um, access to water for a family in Vietnam and Kenya for a day. And I, yeah. I've sponsored years of this stuff. So that's a way that businesses can get going really simply and easily. And the great thing about that, I think, is you can align them to the SDGs, which means that you can go to your team and you can say, right, team, which do you, what causes do you feel most passionate about? Great. These are the ones we will support with you in our process of doing business. Now, there, there's some really simple, small things that can be done at a relatively low, low cost and don't cost the business a huge amount of money, but will scale with business success. So it kind of has its own return on investment there. There are bigger things you can do. I mean, your challenge of an HR system, choosing the right one so you don't blow everything up, that's a that's kind of like an open heart surgery <laughs> kind of thing for yes. you. Um, and that's, you've got to go through your, your own due diligence with that. But it's important, I think... Um, before you start that assessment process to make sure that you understand what sustainability criteria you have and put that into your buying process as well. Yeah. Because it's that, it's that conversation with suppliers that changes things. 
So if you've got five potential suppliers and you all ask them, okay, what are your sustainability credentials? What's your supply chain like? And ask them these difficult questions, scope one, scope two, scope three, all of these things. Then if they don't already focus on that, you're not going to be the only person asking them. So as they start hearing it more and more, they're going to change. Um, But then it also makes your job of choosing the one that fits a bit easier. (laughs) You might find that actually somebody is really sustainable, but got a terrible product and that's a completely different product (laughs) problem. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And go, going back to the, the, what we were talking about at the start, then it's it's, it's about companies thinking about rather than um, possibly in the past they'll have donated profits to charity sort of thing. We donate a certain percentage of a charity to actually being a little bit more proactive about that from a sustainability point of view in terms of uh, doing good for the world. Yeah, um, you could be proactive and nuanced all at the same time, which you know I I think. I think this is a really good way of engaging employees easily within that kind of purpose of the business yeah. um, without it having to be just a chunk of revenue. Um, you know, I've worked in companies where they said that we would have a, a day of our time, a year could be sent on, uh, could be spent on voluntary activities. Yes. And, and nobody cared about it until it had to be reported on a quarterly basis. Um, and then at the end of the quarter, the managers would run around and say, have you done it? Have you done it? Have you done it? And everybody said, no, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So it never got done and it never became part of business. It always became an afterthought and kind of an overhead and a frustration. And actually, I'm trying to close a project. And now you're telling me to go and spend a day in a shop. It, it yeah. just never, it never it was never integrated. But these kind of simple things you can do, if you integrate them, then it just becomes part of business as usual. But with visibility, with impact, and uh, you can collect them all up and count them all up and you can report on them. It becomes a really powerful thing for the communities and projects you're supporting, but also for your your customers, your, your employees, your partners, your entire st- stakeholder group. Or as now I think they're calling it interested parties, not stakeholders. Okay. And is there anything else that, uh, that businesses can do? Because when you look at this, there's so many technology solutions out there. I guess there is a risk that you're sort of technology uh sort of estate can become uh, sort of quite fragmented as it ha- as for many organizations it has done in the past you end up with lots of things scattered around doing bits and pieces and actually that becomes uh quite onerous to manage rather than really a- achieving this sort of simplicity which is what um you know i, I spend uh, my days doing i had a conversation yesterday about this um okay about simplicity and i was talking to this chap i've spoken to quite a few times after he'd given a presentation how he had taken this this roadmap of 63 things and simplified it down to five key actions. And I said, I totally see where your skill set is now. <laughs> I can't do that. That that focus into simplicity is absolutely astonishing. And, and yeah, so this is the challenge when you have um, IT estates, which nearly always have grown kind of all through osmosis or something yes. like that, or through acquisition or whatever. How do you how do you keep an eye on all of those things? How do you kind of consolidate them and make sure they're working as you expect them to do? I mean, that's not my skill set. That's your skill set. I don't know how you do that, but I can tell you why it's important. Yes. Um, from a sustainability point of view. Uh, you're touching, we're touching now on this area that I've been quite involved in this year. It's called digital carbon footprints. And we've been, we've kind of slipped into this idea that digital business is if not insignificant from a carbon footprint, kind of maybe even carbon free. And, it, and it's not. Yeah, <laughs> It's totally not. But we kind of, 
we kind of treat it like it is. So I've been working a lot on kind of trying to raise that discussion so that we don't compound our behaviors that we have nowadays, which we've grown up with for over 20 years, or we've been had instilled on us over the last two, you know, things like just leaving things on standby. Um, yeah. My nan used to have a go at me for that <laughs> when she only had one little red LED on one TV in one room. And I remember as a kid, just kind of rolling my eyes and scoffing. And But nowadays, how many things do you have on in your house? How many things do you have on in your, on your office that are just sitting there doing nothing, adding no value, doing nothing other than chewing away at electricity? Now, that's true for stuff that you've got on your desk. It's true for stuff that you've got in the cloud. And even stuff that you think isn't doing things like backups and data. Yeah. If that's sitting somewhere in the cloud, it's consuming energy and storage. It's consuming hardware that has a carbon footprint as well. So as part of this digital carbon footprint work, it's really a case of looking at those different areas from procurement through IT on-premises. And that could that includes things like um, printers and screens and laptops and cables as well. How do you How do you get a better idea of what kind of carbon footprint these have? And also working from home, that's another really interesting one. If you think about remote workers from a greenhouse gas protocol point of view, a GHG protocol point of view, that's scope three. So just because somebody's one of your employees is working from home doesn't mean that their carbon emissions are their problem. It means it's your problem because they're part of your organization. So you need to understand you need to understand how much they're using, how much they're wasting, and even in some cases, whether they're on renewable energy sources or not. And that gets a bit tricky. Uh, but this is kind of that extended blurry boundary, fuzzy boundary, if you like, of business in the modern world, because it's not just their electricity, their carbon footprint. But another point that we haven't touched today is mental health. You know, yeah. That's also your responsibility. They're your employee all of this time as well. So yeah, so it's a really interesting area. You know, all of these things just sitting around doing nothing, not only are a waste of resource in terms of maybe services or hardware you're paying for, it's being underutilized, but it's got a carbon footprint that you don't even realize. And in our world where energy prices are going up like crazy, I think we should all be worried if it's not for the carbon footprint, which I'm hoping it will be, it should be about managing your energy bills as well. So if we can pull these things together, it could be a really powerful moment in history. Yes, and it could help bring together organizations around these objectives, I guess. So so when we're we're rolling out cloud-based systems, whilst we're doing the work, we could actually say, well, actually, let's let's talk about the sustainability and environmental footprint, what have you, and look and see if we can get get excited about the fact that we can uh, do what we can to save electricity. So rather than just using it like... uh, kind of uh, say instagram as it were and watching watching videos in instagram and consuming electricity that way how can we be effective as an organization and save money in the use of our cloud services because i guess you do at least at least with those cloud-based services you do get the bill a bit like your your home electricity bill there the, the bill does <laughs> land and it will it'll yeah. reflect the number of video calls you've had and, and everything yeah a video i mean this is Another interesting thing, I wrote the paper I wrote exploring digital carbon footprints was 60 pages long. So there's quite a lot in there. There's some really kind of interesting kind of nuances through it as well. Uh, The cloud providers, they all have their own sustainability reporting dashboards as well, which you probably don't know about. But, you know, Microsoft Azure has one, Google has one, Cisco has one, Salesforce. You can go and see how much carbon all of your services through those platforms are, are generating. 
there's a challenge with all of them. They're not complete. And that's this world of sustainability. It's incremental at the moment. Um, we don't know everything. We don't know all the things that we don't know, but we need to move forward. Like I said earlier on, we need to do something to move forward in the right direction and not be afraid of that uncertainty, which is easy to say in a business much harder to achieve. But we have to, because otherwise we'll sit around and do nothing, which will not be good. The challenge with that is on many of those dashboards that you see, they will talk about energy usage, which is absolutely fine and important but actually if you think of a lifetime carbon footprint of a thing a laptop or a um, a hard disk or a server rack or something like that 80 percent of its lifetime carbon footprint is in what's called the embodied carbon so the carbon that is generated when that thing was made shipped stored and manufactured so when you look at your carbon dashboard from i don't know microsoft or google i'm not sure which one you want to have a look at you need to make sure that it includes that as well um, and if it doesn't, we need more more voices going to these suppliers saying, we need to know what you're doing there. And yeah. once we tackle that, we need to know things like, what's your water consumption like? How much water are you wasting? What's your land usage like as well? Because these are big questions that these big technology players really have to answer more quickly as well. I see. So to bring it all together then, what, what do you... What would your advice be to say, so, say someone like myself working in uh, digital transformation within a business to help to, from the point of view of delivering the technology, but also the people side to it as well? As you say, you touched on the sort of the mental health side of things, but and then sort of broadly, really about sort of people in the workplace and then use of technology. Yeah, good, good question. So I think um, we need to we need to first of all make sure that we're comfortable, as I said moving forward even though we don't know everything but understand that everything is interdependent somehow and that's why i love the sdgs as well it's like a spider's web if you pull one of them you tug on the other one way or another but also at the same time as well understanding that not kind of get caught in that (laughs) infinite cycle of well i can't do this without that we need to make a step forward and the easiest way i think to do that is to create a baseline of our understanding and of our impact. And that can be very simple to start with, but it has the, the business needs to commit to reviewing that and improving it and kind of improving the target setting along it. And once you have that baseline, every business decision needs to be marked against that baseline. So for example, at a very simple level, we could be talking about energy performance of devices. So that could be one thing. You could have a commitment that for your devices, uh, I don't know, let's say a, um, a screen that's sitting in front of me, screens yeah. need to conform to a certain power power range. And if they, when you're choosing two different screens, you know, actually this one's over the baseline and this one's under. So I'm going to go for the under the baseline. Very simple um, yeah. to say, but you can then extend that everywhere, everywhere else as well. Uh, so when you're looking at purchasing new equipment, you can be thinking about, well, Okay, if I purchase something brand new, it's got this carbon footprint and that information is becoming easier to get as well. But if I purchase this remanufactured thing that has the same five or 10 year warranty and guarantee with it, then my carbon footprint is a fraction, 10% of the new one. Now, if you take that company baseline, it means, well, I'm going to buy 10 of those and that that sends us much closer towards our target than buying 10 brand new. So I think baselines are important. Make sure they become part of everyday uh, decision-making and make sure they're reviewed on a regular basis as well. On the human side of things, there was a really interesting video from Gartner 
uh, which really highlighted the the fact that this whole great resignation piece has transformed um, thinking in businesses away from human resource back to human being. So I think culturally we need to try and bring that being piece back into our conversations about the people we work with. We're not just resources. They're not just resources. It can be swapped out like memory in a, in a computer. They're human beings with their own needs, desires, passions, challenges. So it adds complexity to a business to start with. But over time, the more you embrace people as people, the closer your relationships and the more you get from them, which sounds complete, you know, we're not doing it for that reason, but you want your people to be happy and productive. So you have to treat them like people and human beings rather than just a resource that you can get rid of. Again, every business, white collar, blue worker, whatever, it's, it's, it's going to be different, but we have to think that way. And I think by also thinking about, you know, the SDGs, I'm not an SDG ambassador. I just think they really help thinking about them you can have those conversations at a conceptual level to start with, with an organization and open the door that, okay, you know, we are going to be looking for ways to help with well-being and good health through our focus on SDG three, as an example. And you can encourage that kind of collective decision-making and discussion around it, which, which makes the whole process a lot easier. If you have the people, as you know, if people are bought into it, it's a lot easier than trying to force something on them. But use that kind of experience of mine, which says, you know, the per- the personal experience drives the purpose, drives the passion, and that becomes contagious. Well, that's a really great note to uh, to end on, I think. So I just want to say thanks very much, uh, Scott, for to, for joining us today. It's been a, a brilliant talk. And what's the best way of keeping in contact with you or, or for people to reach out to you? Uh, two ways. Uh, LinkedIn. So Scott Stonham, you should find me there. And uh, also via my website, wellthatsinteresting.tech. So either of those, I'm very happy to chat with anyone who wants to talk about these topics. All right. Well, thanks thanks again then, Scott. And look forward to um, the next episode of the Making Things Work podcast next month. See you then. Duncan, thank you so much. Bye-bye.